If you'd like to open your Bible, if you have one, or switch them on, and if you don't, you can uh, follow this on the screen. I'm going to bring a passage, speak to you from a passage of Scripture from 1 Corinthians 13. Very familiar. If I could have it on there, that'd be great. Brilliant. Love never fails. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, There are prophecies. Uh, They will cease. It's great to hear about the ladies and the amazing prophetic time. I heard it was awesome. I wish I was there. Their prophecies, um, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, that's when Jesus returns to put all that's wrong right and finish up the whole job that we're doing with him right now. And he comes and finishes it. Um, When Jesus returns or when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I taught like a child. This is about growing up now, uh, which we're all on that journey of growing up into all that God wants us to become individually and together. So when I was a child, I talked as a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put away the childhood things behind me. For now, we only see a reflection as in a mirror. But then, when Jesus returns, we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall uh, know fully all the questions. Oh, I always want to know about that. Uh, what will be fully known. But for now, these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now these three remain, the faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and the passage talks about everything that we know in this world, and this reality, in this life that we can see and touch and feel, everything we know, it's all going to change. Nothing is permanent. It's all on a journey of change. And we don't really know what it's really going to look like, how it's all going to pan out. We get glimpses, and in the scriptures we get glimpses. And Paul says it's like looking at the reflection in the mirror. But as you look in other versions of the Bible, like the King James, it, talks, it says, looking through a dark glassly. No, looking through a glass darkly, yeah. So what does that mean, apart from uh, getting all mixed up? Well, you know at night, for example, when the lights are off and you look at a window and you can see a darkened reflection of yourself and what's behind you. You get an image, but it's not very clear, is it? That's a bit what it's like. We're just thinking, well, how's, what's it going to look like when Jesus is going to turn? Or what's my life going to look like? And where's the journey? And what are we growing up into? And When things are all changed and nothing's remaining, but it's all made new, what's it going to look like? Well, we get glimpses, and what we can see is exciting, but it's nowhere near the real deal or the real thing. It is going to be much more than what we could ever imagine. And there are times in life uh, when we look around and we really don't have a lot of clarity or certainty how things are going to pan out. And that is what it's like for everybody, I think, on the planet right now. Individually and as a humanity, a corporate humanity right now, we are living in... It's interesting what spell check does. I don't know how I managed to check this. It says, my notes say, the future looks freaky (laughs) and uncertain and unclear. I think that should be frightening. (laughs) But let's say, freaky will do. The the future looks freaky, uncertain, and unclear. 
we're in a time where everything seems to be shaken. Everything that we would put our confidence on for a certain secure future is being shaken right now. There is political uncertainty. And we vote for our governments hoping that they will sort the, our economy and life out. And it's like crazy. I mean, freaky crazy. I mean, I, listen, I like listening to Times Radio. I don't want to be boring here, but it's what I listen to in the car. And all the commentators say they have, in all their journalistic careers, they have never, ever, ever, ever known such a time as this. I mean, it's a field day for journalists. They've always something got great to report on. Political confidence has gone. Economic uncertainty. Environment uncertainty. World insecurity, as we call it with Putin's war. We really don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know how it's going to be panned out. We don't know what's going to be left of it all when, it all, when this season of our lives or this season of history is over. But one thing we can be sure of, God knows. God knows it all. God is not phased, he's not freaked out, he's not insecure, he's not uncertain. There's a verse in Psalm 2, it says, Why do the nations plot in vain and the rulers of the kings of the earth conspire against his anointed? The Lord laughs in heaven. Not that anything that's going on is a laughing matter, I'm not trivializing, but he laughs in heaven. In other words, to him, it's like children playing in the playground and he is not phased by it because he has it all worked out. He will work everything out. Now, not everything that happens in life God wants or God desires. He doesn't always get what he wants. Just because God is sovereign doesn't mean that he always gets what he wants in every individual moment. He's not willing for anybody to perish, but for all to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, because everybody has free will, we know that not everybody is going to choose to turn to Jesus, and he doesn't want that. So let's not, let's not confuse what the sovereignty of God actually is. It doesn't mean the sovereignty of God. It means that God, everything that happens, God has orchestrated it, or God wants it. If that was the case, you'd have to think, if you fell down the stairs and broke your leg, you'd have to think, well, it must be God's will. Thank goodness that's over with. He doesn't, he doesn't want bad things to happen. That's not the way he started the world up. But because he's sovereign, he can cause all the stuff that happens in the world still to work out to his purpose. He, like Joseph says, what you intended for evil, God worked out for good. He can take the worst and turn it into the best. And that's why it says that all things work together for the good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So in an uncertain world where we don't have a clear picture of how it's going to pan out, we know that God knows what he's doing. And we can trust him. Hebrews says this, once more I will, once more I will shake not only the earth but the heavens, everything being shaken. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken that is, created things so that what cannot be shaken will remain. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. We can see in this passage that 
God allows things to be shaken and he uses it for his purposes, although he doesn't always orchestrate it. That's the brilliance of the sovereignty of God. He has so much power, he can use it, even though he doesn't always want it in the first place. And so he allows things to be shaken, and why? To help us see what we can rely on. There's nothing worse than relying on something that cannot be relied upon. There's nothing worse than if you bought a car because, look, I need a new car, so I need to buy a reliable car, and it's a great sales pitch, and you've done all the checks, and you've had it a fortnight, and suddenly you can't rely on it because there's a big problem that you didn't know about. Or There's nothing worse than that, is there? I mean, there are things worse than that, but you know what I mean. It's an illustration. Nothing worse than re- relying on something that turns out to be unreliable. But how good it is when we can journey through life with absolute confidence that what we're relying upon will not let us down. And that is his unshakable kingdom, his unshakable purpose and rule in our lives. Now the thing about God, he's he's good. He's a good parent, but he's not a helicopter parent. I don't know if you've heard of this phrase, helicopter parents is a modern phenomenon where we become, we overparent, so our children have got a problem and we come in and fix it. Our children are running out of money because they've overspent and we just give them more. You know, we just, we, we rescue, we rescue, we protect. We never let them go into the real world and have the bumps and the bruises and the disappointments and the challenges. But we want to preserve and protect them because, whoa, but I, oh, I couldn't bear it if they were unhappy for a moment. And, uh, and the challenge with parenting especially, is that we can overprotect or helicopter parent. Now, God is a good parent, but he's not a helicopter parent because he wants us, as we looked in the beginning of this passage, to grow up, not think like a child. Grow up so that our character and our perseverance and our inner resolve and our strength is developed through the challenges and the uncertainties of life. That when we hit the tough times, It doesn't cause us to shake with everything else that is shaking around us. So God wants us to grow up. And he's using this incredible season in our life, and the whole planet has been shaken, to say to humanity and to every single one of us who are in this room today, don't rely on things that cannot be relied on. And everything that we see and have hoped for is created is temporary. But everything that is unseen is eternal and you can rely on it. It won't be shaken. It will not fail or perish. And so there are things that will remain and there are things that won't remain. So what will remain that we can rely on? And we've read it in the scripture. Now these things remain. Faith, hope, and love. So let's hold on to these things. So Paul gives these three things. Let's talk about them. Hmm. If we're going to make it through these turbulent times, as God's people who put our faith in God through Jesus Christ, we have to hold on to faith. We are people of faith. We come to Christ by faith. Our sins are forgiven by faith. It says that we walk by faith. We live by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Everything that we do comes by faith. The scripture says, make God... make." May God bless and make fruitful every good thing you do that is prompted by your faith. 
We stand by faith. We obey God by faith, not by willpower. It says that Abraham and Noah, they obeyed God not by willpower, but by faith. It talks in Hebrews 11, people laid down their lives for Jesus. They were put martyred, not by willpower, but by faith. It is faith that causes you to have a resilience that can overcome and deal with fearlessly the most challenging and threatening of circumstance. So as the people of God, I just want to say, this is a time to hold on to faith. This is a time to grow our faith, dig into our faith. What, what are we having faith in? God is good. He, God exists. He is good. God is good. Might not have to, you don't have to understand everything in the world to know that God is good. Remember, the good God doesn't want everything, but he is with you in everything. The good God doesn't, doesn't cause all the bad things to happen, but he can use the bad things. Why? Because he's good. He teaches us. He grows us. He blesses us. He forms us. He shapes us. He renews us. He strengthens us. He changes us. He causes fruit to come out of our lives through the most challenging circumstances because he is good. So he says, you in this world, you're going, to over, you're going to have troubles. Fear not. I've overcome the world and I'll never leave you and I'll forsake you. I'll be with you through the very end, working with you for your good. God is good. We can have faith in that. And it says it in his word, but history has proved it. And I know, like you and I, so many of us have proved him good in our lives through the most challenging circumstances. And when you're going through it, you go, Ooh! and when you look back, you go, gosh, I wouldn't want it again. But what God did was amazing. So we have faith in who he is and his goodness, what he's done, what he has said, who he is, what he has done, what he has said. Who he is, what he has done, what he has said. Who he is, what he has done. Do we have faith in these things? He loves you. He's for you. He died on the cross to forgive you, to secure a future. He, he works for your good. He will finish what he started in you. I'm confident, says Paul. And I'm confident for you and I'm confident for me this morning that he who began a good work in you will continue it until it's finished. That's what he says. I'm confident. And sometimes you may feel it's four steps forward and five steps back. Changing the language a bit to emphasize it. But here's the thing is, whether you feel it's five forward or four back or whatever it is, I'm confident that he who started, he, took, he knows you, he took you on, he knew he could finish. He doesn't take on a job that he can't finish. And he took you on. You didn't choose him, he chose you. And he took you on. And I'm confident that the God who chose you knew that he could finish with you. He's, never, he's not disillusioned with you because he never had any illusions in the first place. He knew what he was taking on. He said, I can work with this. And it says in the scriptures that the sovereign God who knew all things, who knew that you were going to give life to Christ, has predestined you to be conformed into the image of his son. He knew you were going to give your life to Christ, and therefore he has sovereignly chosen, because of that, that you will become like Jesus. And it's all going to be all right at the end of the day. Keep going, Julian. Don't run out of time. Hold on to faith. Because everything that God brings to you comes through faith. Your forgiveness comes through faith. Your peace comes through faith. This morning, Matthew talked about, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask, but let him ask in faith. Faith is a gift of God that he's given you. Now stir it up and hold on to it in these uncertain times. It's the only way that we will be on a sure foundation. 
If, if you let your face shake, you will shake. Don't let your face shake. You, he, you can trust him. Now, in order to hold on to faith, the scripture we've just read says we need something. We must hold on to something else that is, will always remain. Hope. These three things re remain right now. Faith and hope. Now, faith and hope are connected. What is hope? Now, the world's definition of hope is, oh, I hope I win the lottery if you were to do it. I hope that this car that I have bought is reliable after all, and you can be disappointed in hope. But biblical hope is not something that will disappoint you. Biblical hope is waiting with assurance that we will possess what we don't yet have. Let me just repeat that. Hope is waiting with assurance that we will possess what we don't yet have. And faith and hope are connected. So look at Hebrews 11. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for. The assurance about what we do not see. So basically, hope is waiting with confidence that what we do not yet possess shall become ours in the course of time. It's good, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> maybe I'm the only one that thinks so. So, let's look at hope for a moment. If you want to grow in faith, we must not let go of hope. Hope is not uncertain, but it's a confident expectation. Now, it is life's challenges that teaches us how to hold on to hope. It is life's challenges that teaches us how to hold on to hope. Let's read Romans. We can rejoice when we run into problems. Really? We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us to develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope, and hope, and, and this hope will not lead to disappointment, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. God loves us, and he has given us his spirit that fills our hearts with his love. So here's the thing. We need faith. But in order to grow our faith, we have to develop hope. In order to develop hope, we go through tough times. And as we do it, our character is developed. And our, and our faith and our hope is strengthened, and it leads to not a disappointment life, but a fulfilled life on the journey. When troubles of any kind come your way, this is James speaking, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I want to encourage you 
to hold on to confidence in God that he will work in your life, he will meet your needs, he will provide for you, he'll fulfill all of his purposes through hope and through faith. And in all of that, you will be changed that out of the character, the righteous character of Christ, your life will be fruit-bearing. It will be good and multiply with good things into your life. I've had to, uh, many of you know something of our story, but let me tell you this. It is through the challenges of life that we have learned the most and Sarah and I have grown the most in our faith. When I was sitting there or worshiping, I said to the Lord just a few moments ago, Lord, I need a few succinct illustrations that are appropriate for this talk that will help the congregation this morning. What would they be? And three things came to my mind. And um, then Sarah, she's uh, at home today, she's uh, recovering from not being well. She had this picture of the eagle about scraps. And Matthew talked about receiving from God in time of need, and we had that wonderful verse, even the lilies are clothed. How much more will he provide for you? And these are the three stories I wanted to share real quick. Uh, when, when I was called and Sarah and I got married, and we were called to live by faith. And when I lived by faith, we actually didn't have any income at all. And it was in two weeks before our marriage, and we didn't have a house or a place to live in. And it's no good saying, well, why didn't you <coughs> go and buy one? We actually didn't have any money. We didn't have any money to rent. We didn't have any money to buy. And when I was called, God said, abandon yourself to me. Proclaim my name to all people, and I'll meet your needs. And I knew that he wanted me to live by faith for a season, to develop my faith, and not to get a job or even a part-time job. When I was called, I just clearly knew this. Now, I wouldn't advise that if I was counseling people, so get a part-time job. But this was a unique journey that God wanted to take us on so that we could become a people of faith. I mean, we see miracles and prophetic stuff, and we're living in a building, I have a building here that was for faith in the first building, and the community center, it's all been journeys of faith for us, isn't it? Well, you know, that faith has got to come from somewhere, and it grows, and it grows through difficulty. So, being the romantic that I did, um, uh, I lent Sarah a book just a few weeks before we got married. It was a theology book. <laughs> and she began to read it, and the first page was on the sovereignty of God. And, she, and Sarah was gripped uh, and inspired by the power and the presence and the sovereignty of God. And even though it's all challenging, he's in control. And when she was worshipping God out of this theme, she saw a picture of a flat a brand new flat with a bay window and particular type of curtains. And she knew in her heart that God would provide us a home. A fortnight after that, or within a very short time period, I just want to get my dates right, but it was a very short time period before we were going to get married, a couple came up to us and said, oh, have you got somewhere to live? And we said, no. He said, we bought, we've bought a place, it's a flat, it's an investment. Uh, we'd like you to live in it. For um, We'll give it to you for a year to live in rent-free. Uh, we'd like to come and see it. And it was a brand new flat. I mean, nobody ever lived in it before. And it had this particular bay window and these curtains, which was exactly the same what Sarah saw. 
And out of nothing, out of weakness and nothing, and no ability to really help ourselves, but just totally rely on God in these uncertain times for us, God out of the weakness provided, and it wasn't the scraps. It wasn't the scraps. It was not the scraps. And then when we moved in, we still had a problem. Sarah was a student. She was doing teacher training. So she, she had a little bit of a grant. And uh, we had no other income apart from, you know, anything that I might get when I'm preaching or something like that. But it, it's never very much and never all the time because most of my work was in schools and prisons and on the streets. So it wasn't that type of deal. So how do we, how do we pay for our food? And Sarah had another vision one day. And it, it wasn't a vision. It was a dream. And she looked in her purse and she went to, it was basically, she was going to the cupboard to get some food. And she looked in the purse and she pulled five pound out. And then the, in the dream, the following day, she pulled another five pound out. And it was just enough each day for what we needed to eat. It wasn't like millions in the bank, but it was enough for daily bread. It was enough. And, over, and that was our experience. We always had enough. And we had to trust God for things. So... <clears throat> The first thing I remember we really had to trust God for in, when we first got married, I know this will sound strange, it was for a new duvet set because we moved in, we only had one, one duvet set, one set of sheets and one set of pillows. And when they were in the washing machine, you know, and they weren't dry, we had nothing to put on the bed sheets. So we had to pray for, I think about 20 odd pounds or something like that for a duvet set, and somebody sent us, a, a friend from Ireland, said, oh, I've just been thinking about you, and they gave us a check for this, the money that we need, exact amount. Now, that's just a small thing, but let me tell you something. Those were challenges, and this is where we're really stretching our faith to believe God's stuff, but that's where the faith journey starts, with the little things. You see, if God had asked us to believe for the money to buy and refurbish this place, when we first started in our journey when I was 23 years old, I might have had a breakdown or something. The, the pressure of it. I, I just knew my faith was not at that place because I hadn't had the opportunity to, for God to prove himself in my life through each challenging circumstance. Am I communicating? So the other story I want to tell you is this. I also needed a car. Because I was traveling about to all the different schools and I needed a car. And, and it's no good to say, well, go and get, go and, you know, rent one or buy one or get one part exchange because we just go bankrupt because we didn't have any money. So we just had to pray. And then one morning I get a call from somebody I'd never, ever, ever met or heard before. And he says, oh, can I come around and see you with my wife? So they knocked on the door and they said, I don't know how they know, because the only person I told was a colleague in the organization I was working with. They said, oh, I hear you need a car for your ministry. He said, my wife uh, and I, we've just bought a brand new car for my wife, a second car, my wife. We'd like you to have it until you don't need it anymore. It had 23 miles on the clock. Who does that? No, seriously, who does that? I've never done that. <laughs> it's kind of humbling. But this is, so this is the point I want to make. If you feel powerless, and, this, and, it's, and it's a miracle, but you just don't think this is ever going to happen, or if you have some resources, but they're being stretched, 
God is with you. God is for you. And he says, as we read this morning, don't look at the things that are happening around you, but the kingdom of God that is invisible and your heavenly Father who is invisible sees what you need and you will be provided for as you pursue the invisible, the kingdom that cannot be shaken, as you build your life upon the invisible. So in this uncertain time, and we don't know what's happening with mortgages, we don't know what's happening with the foods, with the food prices going crazy, we don't know what's happening with the, the fuel crisis, it's only got security now up till April, I think. We don't know what's happening with the war, and whether, how's that going to affect the world crisis and the food shortages again through Ukraine and all that type of thing. We don't know what's going to happen. And this world, which has been shaken and is crumbling because it's all can be seen and it's temporal, don't fix your eyes upon that. Because there is a rule, there is a government, there is a king, there is a father that cannot be seen and it is unshakable. And as you seek the unseen, unshakable purposes of God in your life, your father in heaven, who even cares for a flower that's dead tomorrow, will care for you. Hope and faith is matured through the challenge. If you're going through a hard time, let me encourage you, if you're a Christian, more good things means more good things come in your way because you have a great opportunity to develop character and character is the trunk that bears the branches, that bears the fruit of your life. You will develop more endurance so you don't crumble and falter. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask in faith. How do you develop your faith for wisdom? You have to go through a crisis where you don't know what to do. It makes you feel horrible, but it's your opportunity. So hold on to faith. Hold on to hope in your trial. And finally, there's one other thing to hold on to. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. Jesus says the greatest thing we can do is to love God and one another. It was a young man who came up to me and says, what's the greatest commandment? So I'm just rephrasing it. The greatest thing a human being can do it's not to be top of the career of our job whilst we want to aspire to be the very best we can. It's not in our achievements or in our successes, as this world puts it, whilst we want to be the most fruitful and productive individuals on the planet. But at the end of the day, the greatest thing you can do is to love God, love others, Love the world. Love other people in the world who don't know Jesus. Love the people you're sitting next to and every person you lock eyes with. In the course, the Imagine course or the book, Imagine Heaven, where people have died and gone to heaven and come back to tell their stories, one thing we'll learn if you go on the course is that everybody gets a life review. And their life review isn't how successful you were as a tradesman, a student, or anything like that, or in business, or whatever it may be, sport, or whatever your passion and ambition is, 
the review is all about how we have loved and how we have cared and loved for one another and the consequences and the effect it's had on our own life and the ripple effect of others on the measure of give we love or have withheld. And everybody gets to meet Jesus and everybody gets a life review and it's all about how we love, not what we've accomplished. Love matters. And when the Bible talks about hardship and developing character so we can endure, the, the Christ-like quality that Christ is known for and the term and the definition of who God is is this. God is love. And when we develop and endure our faith to have character, basically it's to become like Christ and to be like him is to be love and a loving person. To love that endures, a love that sticks with it, a love that goes the extra mile, a love that turns the other cheek, a love that forgives when wronged again and again, and again, just like Christ. A love that blesses when other people curse you. A love that prays for those who work against you. A love that just does not run away or walk away like Christ. There's a friend who sticks closer than, his, than a brother. And his friend is, that friend is Christ. There's a, there's a a God who says this, whilst we were yet sinners, turning our back on him, he died for us. He came to us. He came to this world. He, we didn't go to him. He came to us. He just will not run away, but he'll run towards us every single time, like the prodigal, like the prodigal son and the loving father. And I'm not talking about if you're living in a dangerous or abusive relationship where for Safety, you have to remove yourselves. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking in the everyday affairs of life. We don't walk away, but we're like Christ. And there's three levels of love. And I've got five minutes to finish it. The veneer level. This is veneer. I can see it's chipped on here. And below here, there's chipboard. Looks lovely on the outside, doesn't it? There's a scratch and a chip. And, this, and when we enter into a relationship, we all enter into the relationship with the veneer. The veneer level is we like to um, put on a perfect image. Hello, my name's Julian, and I'm fantastic, and you will like me, because we all like to be loved. And then you only have to hang around one another for a little bit longer, and you soon find out, actually, you're not as glossy as I thought. There's... There's a chip there, and beneath the chip, it's not even wood, it's inferior material, chipboard, compressed sawdust. And we begin to realize that actually, when we present ourselves, we present ourselves as the next best thing is sliced bread. And then when you examine it closely, you find out you're a bit moldy. <laughs> and that's where it's at. And then we have a choice, you see, whether we continue to love and stick with one another when we've become disappointed and disillusioned. And that's, when, that's the third level. So the first level is the veneer. The second level is the disappointment or disillusionment. And we, everybody has it because we're all, in, we're all, none of us are perfect. But the third level is when we know one another for who we are and we say, I'm going to love you anyway. 
That's the Christ level. That's what they call agape love. It's a sacrificial love. It's, it's a love that lays down my life in love. Knowing everything about you, but I'm going to stick with you. That's how God is towards us. Thank God. And that's what we are called and invited to be towards one another. By all this, men and women shall know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. We're called to love like Christ. So why in these uncertain times, why don't we do ourselves a massive favor? And do everybody else around us a massive favor. Choose faith and his, in, his, in who he is and his unfailing promise. Choose hope that through endurance we will possess what we do not yet possess, but we know what God has for us. And choose love, the most important thing a human being can do. And it will be what we're assessed on and what we're rewarded on. Now these three remain in an uncertain world. Faith, hope, love. Can we, as God's people, in all of the unanswered questions and uncertainties, when we don't know how it's going to work out and what we're going to be left with, can we choose to know that what we will remain with and what we will grow with is faith, hope, and love. And in that, we will find ourselves unshakable because we are living out the values and living in the unshakable kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we can do something very simple in a complex world and a complex time. We can choose the unshakable kingdom of God to rule and reign in our life. So by the power of your spirit, will you grow our faith? Will you develop our endurance and our hope? And will you help us to become true Christ-like people who love you, love the lost, and love one another? with the same enduring quality that you have. And I pray out of these, our lives will be bearing much fruit and that we will know your gracious hand of care, provision, strength, and presence each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.